Episode 4 Revelations Welcome to Star Rocket Radio, an Infinity Inc. podcast. I'm Herman Lowe, and I'm joined by my fellow All-Star, who's this time around not in the driver's seat. He's sitting shotgun. <laughs> Usually you're in the driver's seat, right, Billy? And uh, we're flying through the skies here above, you know, the West Coast and uh, enjoying our aerial view of Filmland. So how are you doing, Billy? Good, good. And since, you know, we're in the airways and we're not on the roadways, we're, you know, Doing a little, having a few drinks, having a few smokes. And, you know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they said don't drink and drive, but nobody said don't drink and fly. Mm-hmm. Well, yep. I guess they said they commented on that in Superman 3. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think airline pilots, aren't they notorious alcoholics? So, you know, hey, we well, <laughs> statistics show there's a bunch of them. Yeah. So we might be wrong here that those statistics might be bunk, but I'm pretty sure it's kind, kind of like <laughs> dentists in Japan committing suicide all the time. Those statistics have something to them. Although, you know, I'm not one to go for these, these full, you know, statistics online, but they sound plausible to me just because mm-hmm. okay, I shouldn't say they sound fun, but they sound, you know, suitably <laughs> weird. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, weird is a good word for it. Yeah, and you know, we love our weird stuff. So, mm-hmm. so listeners, thanks for coming back and giving us another try. Of course, this is our fourth episode, Star Rocket Radio. And this time around, we're discussing issues six and seven. We just finished, of course, two weeks mm-hmm. or two and a half weeks ago, discussing the return of the ultra humanite. And this time mm-hmm. around, he brought the stream of ruthlessness along. <laughs> to give the JSAers and the Infiniters a bit of uh, trouble there. So uh, interesting storyline, right, Billy? I'm always a fan of the mm. Ultra Humanite showing up. How do you feel about this villain? Yeah, I love, love the character, and I love what uh, he accomplished here. I love you know when heroes get turned to the villainous side. However that's accomplished, it doesn't matter to me. I like that when that happens. Yeah, I love it that this time it's not just your usual scheme. I mean, he does mention that he's going to try to take over the world after he he's done with the JSA and the infiniters, but this time around, it's more sinister. I mean, we know that ultra humanite can get pretty, pretty crazy and pretty sadistic sometimes psychopathic, even like Mm -hmm. ordering the minions in the 1940s to kill, basically commit genocide with those little creepy crawlies under the ground. (laughs) You know, (laughs) those poor little guys, the mole during the ultra war. Yeah. That happened in, (laughs) you know, the annual uh, number two, of all-star squadron and uh so we know the ultra humanite is pretty damn evil but here it's even more sinister because he's not after just the deaths of the jsa and the infinitors 
He's after the ruination of their souls and their legacies by having them commit these heinous acts. So mm-hmm. it's, yeah, these acts that they're committing now are going to be a stain on their reputations for the rest of their existences. So pretty damn sinister, I would say. Oh, yeah, for sure. No now, doubt I about that. Yeah, man. I mentioned the last time that the brainwave used to be my favorite JSA villain, but the ultra humanite has now fast become, you know, the, the absolute favorite, I should say. So because of this storyline, and of course, because of the ultra war that we recently reread, I don't know why I always dismissed him beforehand, you know, Billy. Yeah. But let's get into this. All right. So um, this mm. is just a quick recap. The JS heirs were presumed dead after Superman subjected them to the stream of ruthlessness, essentially drowning them. <laughs> wow, looks like I should lay off the drinks a bit while piloting uh-huh. the Star Rocket Razor yeah. here. Too much. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely too much. I'm drinking a highball, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> mm-hmm. So what's been happening, Billy, here? Um, they were thought drowned and the Infinitors showed up to mourn their parents and mentors and it happened in this morgue and then of course they weren't drowned because an old all-star comics uh you know hawkman related or you know jsa related story recounted the stream of ruthlessness and that was given us by roy and jerry and mike macklin as the reason for their uh, their, their drowning that miraculously culminated in their resurrection and they turned evil. Basically, it washes away all your, your morality, and it makes you extremely selfish and evil, essentially, prone to violence. So that's what the JSA has become. And not all of them, though. They severely injured the Flash, who was not subjected to it. Wildcat's still out there. Shira Hall, Hulk woman. Hulk girl, I should say, but she's probably Hulk woman by now, right? Mm-hmm. And uh, now they're in the thick of things. As we left it uh, during the last episode, we saw Green Lantern almost, well, he, he's, he, they left without seeing if they've killed the Infinitors, but they subjected them to this t- sort of like a vise that looked like a printing press with teeth <laughs> <laughs> that they're caught in. And mm-hmm. uh, they're being crushed and they're going to get spiked to death in good turns. So that's where we were left. And then, of course, um, we had Hector Hall briefly sort of corralling his love fury who lost her temper and started tearing up half the countryside outside Colorado there when upon learning that her mom died and um, they are returning back to the morgue. And then of course we've got uh, also brainwife junior and star spangled kid who were hunting down this so-called Sasquatch slash Yeti monster (laughs) that was reputed to have, you know, uh, laid out the bodies of the JSA to be found in the snow by the local, you know, law and it turned out to be who who was it billy we've already mentioned him like a dozen times at least during this episode (laughs) our buddy the ultra humanite (laughs) that's right the ultra humanite in fine form i should say Mm -hmm. and that's where we left it off it started with the ultra humanite having that great line coming out of this ice cave uh, showing himself to brainwave jr and to the star spangled kid saying you know, at your service, your funeral service, that is. <laughs> <laughs> mm-hmm. Oh, it's lovely. It's lovely. All right. Some specs. Yeah, man. Some specs on this issue, Billy. Okay. Well, starting off with Infinity Inc. Volume uh, 1, of course. This is issue 6, uh, dated September 1984. Cover art by Jerry Ordway and Anthony Tollin. 
Writers Roy Thomas and his wife Dan Thomas, penciled by Jerry Ordway, inked by Al Gordon. Colorist Anthony Tollin. Lettered by David Cody Weiss and, of course, edited by Roy himself. <laughs> Again, editing <laughs> himself. So this time around, we don't have uh, Mike Macklin doing the inking on the interiors. So, you know, I guess the guy, you know, he can't always, sometimes they need a break, right? But that's fine. Oh, yeah. It doesn't really detract from the overall effect. Or did you find that there's some significant differences in the art? No, I thought it was pretty tight, pretty solid. No, no complaints here at all. Yeah, I completely agree. And uh, mm -hmm. um, let's first talk covers, Billy. I mean, this cover, pretty great. Colors popping. So this Anthony Tolan guy is pretty um, accomplished. I love it. This is someone's favorite cover. I remember someone on Twitter mentioned this, but I couldn't find the comment again. I, I searched for it, but someone told me this is actually their favorite cover. Wow. Uh, can you describe this cover to us? Yeah, absolutely. It's, uh, you know, we have uh, the Infinitors uh, front and center and uh, Silver Scarab is uh, grabbing a wanted poster on a wall and it says wanted the Justice Society of America. And he's kind of crushing it up a little bit. And he says, and we've got to bring them in dead or alive. Nora <laughs> says, <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, great, great cover. The colors, the layout, everything about this cover is great. You know, Jerry Ordway is he's the man. <laughs> yeah, that's right. And in the previous episode, I screwed up by leaving the Huntress out of uh, you know, the discussion of the previous cover. Randy, our friend Randy Koo, pointed that out, and he was, <laughs> you know, um, humorously offended. <laughs> you know, no, the guy's great. And then this time around, I am going to to mention this gross injustice, Randy. They left out the very fetching right elbow of the Huntress, <laughs> which is off panel. How dare they? <laughs> yeah no 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 i'm kidding i'm kidding but you're right i completely missed <laughs> the huntress during the last episode when I, I i don't know why i didn't see her on the cover you know uh, it was mm -hmm. probably because i was recalling the cover from memory and i you know it's that cover that that famous cover to issue number five where they were they're in the morgue pulling the yeah the sheets off of the bodies and of the dead jsairs so uh, I don't know why I, you know, in my memory, I couldn't recall her standing there because I was reading the hardcover at that point in time. Now I've broken out my original issue, so I don't make the mistake again. <laughs> <laughs> so in any way, this is a very incongruous cover, Billy, because think about it. I mean, it's great, well-penciled, of course, brilliant uh, and interesting concept, but it doesn't make any sense. Norda, he's almost a pacifist. He's murderous on this cover. We're bringing them in dead or alive. What, did mm. he briefly get possessed by the spirit of Jonah Hex? <laughs> <laughs> Maybe he was sipping out of that uh, stream as well. <laughs> That's right. Now, where it does totally make sense is Scarab, you know, like crumpling up the... Oh, yeah. The wanted uh, poster on the wall there. That makes complete sense because he's always up for, like, doing some violence to his dad, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No, I'm kidding. So, yeah, interesting cover there. We've got Nuclon Huntress, Silver Scarab. And we've got uh, Northwind. And then I'm leaving someone out of the cover, my favorite Infinitor, to see if Randy can spot this one. <laughs> mm -hmm. <laughs> but it's, it's, some, it's a great cover. So, yeah. Yeah. Anyway, so Billy, now let's get into the story. This is going to be very interesting because we don't have the Infinitors taking on the Ultra Humanoids so much here as we have them taking on their, their, their parents and mentors. And that's pretty great. The Ultra Humanoid does get some action uh, in the snow-capped mountains of Colorado against Brainwave Jr. and Star Spangled Kid. And that's a great fight, by the way. Oh, yeah. 
But what, what's really central here is how the infiniters, who are basically just kids with no experience, right? I mean, sure, Leita has been trained by her mother with Amazonian fighting techniques and in Amazonian fighting techniques, I should say. And, you know, Silver Scarab probably, you know, had some training as a kid as well from his dad. Who knows? Jade and Obsidian trained themselves, you know, but they've never been faced with, with people from this power level or experience uh, level before. So they're severely outgunned. Uh, the only ones that I would say have suitable experience are, of course, the Huntress and Power Girl, but they are at a disadvantage because they're willing to pull their punches. Whereas the opposition, in this case, Robin from Earth 2 confronting the Huntress and eventually Superman from mm -hmm. Earth 2 confronting his cousin Power Girl, they're not. They're completely amoral now. They're murderous. And they're not pulling punches. So that's their disadvantage. Experience won't help them much there. Mm -hmm. So let's get into the story, Billy. What do you think about the opening page there of issue six? Uh, like you kind of described there, there it, we have Norda and Nuclon and the Huntress that, you know, and Huntress and Norda are knocked out unconscious. And Nuclon is the only one that's still with it. And he's trying to stop this giant vice with spikes on it from twisting its way down and impaling them all that uh, Green Lantern thought up. And, you know, you have uh, Silver Scarab and uh, Fury there coming in the door and they're like, you know, holy crap, what's going on here? Oh, and then I forgot to mention, you have the Flash laying there knocked out too because I think Wonder Woman clobbered him. Yeah, that's um, right. But yeah, yeah, good page, real good page. Yeah, it's a real good page. I, it's not one of the greats, but uh, definitely, you know, immediately gets you into the action and into the the severity of the situation because Nuclon's the only one uh, basically keeping them alive at this point. And uh, mm -hmm. we get an inkling here of how strong he really is because apparently this giant vise, of course, would, would weigh tons. And obviously it exerts pressure that increases the, the, the strain of that kind of um, uh, weight on Nuclon. And then mm -hmm. it's mentioned that this is a super-powered green lantern vise you know so mm -hmm. that's probably more powerful by a magnitude of 10 and nuclon's still able to hold that you know up long enough for the rest of the infiniters to rescue norda and the huntress so he's pretty damn strong right billy oh yeah yeah yeah, yeah. we're gonna see his powers you know some fluctuations in these two issues uh you know with him so that's something to keep in mind for you know down the road yeah not even fury's added strength could help him out but yeah definitely we see something happening because of the strain and because he's a mutant and as we know from the x-men when a mutant is under strain their powers <laughs> might sometimes you know well they might be uh they the jump started or you know but nuclon already has his power set but he's one of those mutants that are continually continuously evolving you know he's probably mm -hmm. got a second mutation in there somewhere kind of like what was established <laughs> in the x universe in the uh, late 90s and early 2000s by Grant Morrison, but we don't know. I mean, this is early mm -hmm. days here. Uh, yeah. However, they're saved, right, Billy, when um, we get to sort of the introduction page, which is on page three. Mm. And there we oh, see I love the, that. Oh, that's great. The title of the story, Divide and Be Conquered, part six of the Generation Saga, and Jade and Obsidian come to the rescue. Now, what do you mm. think about this quote here, Billy? This is a pretty sinister quote that Roy and Dan decided on. <laughs> Can you read that to us? <laughs> yeah, it says, alligators have the right idea. 
they eat their young. <laughs> Holy moly. Okay, very appropriate, but damn, that is a pretty serious quote here. It's, it's, it's really disturbing if you think about it in the context of what's, what's happening. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they are trying to eat their young. <laughs> you know, the JSAers in this. And that is from Eve Arden in the movie based on James M. Cain's novel, Mildred Pierce. Now, I'm, okay, this, this might be blasphemy to some. I've never seen this movie, Billy. Have you? I have not either. And I've heard many people say it's very good, but I have not seen that, no. Mm, I haven't read the novel either. So interesting. Now, Roy had this whole bookshelf, I think, behind him when he was writing these uh, comics at his home to uh, use this reference, I think, for literary quotes and political quotes and you know, I'm sure he had that at hand, you know, so mm-hmm. we're going to see some interesting, th- interesting quotes coming up too later. Uh, all right. So uh, the only way that they can negate Green Lantern's energy construct here is for Jade and Obsidian to take a hand. But while Jade is trying to combat it, you know, with the same kind of power, essentially her power pulse, which has the same green light, Obsidian sort of realizes that the opposite effect is needed. And since he's technically Jade's opposite, he uses his shadow power to sort of blanket out the light, blanket the green light, right, Billy, to dim the light. Yeah. But it's interesting how he does this. I mean, what happens to him? Yeah, it's interesting. He comes over, <clears throat> you know, Jade's trying to use her power to, you know, reverse the uh, wheel that's on top of it. That's, you know, kind of like screwing down in a downward motion and pressing this press down on top of Nuclon because, you know, they got uh, Norda and Huntress out. Uh, they pulled them out because they were both unconscious at first and uh, it's not really working and obsidian comes over and all he does is put his hand on it and he like his physical being like and not that he's trying to do this but it almost starts to like uh, become one with this device like like leak into it almost like you know when you would spill ink on something black ink and it you know goes all over it's really interesting it's, it's a fantastically drawn panel, and this is a very, a very interesting effect. Like you say, Obsidian's powers keep surprising us at every turn, really. Yeah. Um, I mean, it, he seems to be able to not just uh, um, create his shadow form in a humanoid you know, type of capacity or a form, but he can also like, become you know, whatever shadow needs to become to mirror an object. And this mm-hmm. is not normally used to, throughout the issues, but he can do this. And then he sort of negates the power and then they're able to save uh, Nuclon, who was the last man standing there. And that's when they realize, hey, he's suddenly grown, what, 16 feet tall. <laughs> and then Yeah, he's like a giant. Yeah. Yeah. So he activated a hidden power, which was not used a lot in Infinity Inc. Of course, this would power would be his main ability uh, uh, during the JSA issues by Jeff Johns in the 1990s and in the 2000s when he became Atom Smasher. Mm-hmm. Yeah, or he became Atom Smasher before that. But but that would be his main power. You know, he could become like a giant, like Colossal Boy from the Legion, but still have super strength and, of course, the molecular density uh, control mm-hmm. and all of that. So he's a very interesting power set. I love it. But here in the issues of Infinity Inc. here in the early 80s and mid 80s to late 80s he only displayed really his super strength and every now and then he would have this molecular ability where he could become intangible or you know like the vision from marvel he could harden his body density control yeah so believe the cops show up and they're like uh oh boy aj carruthers (laughs) i'm not (laughs) saying they're bumbling cops but they're definitely not 
used to this type of uh, these these cases, you know, mm-hmm. because they're either overreacting to a situation or they're just standing there gobsmacked. <laughs> yeah, my my bullet point says idiot cops, and that's it. <laughs> exactly, man. And they're, yeah, they're idiots and they're cringeworthy. I mean, if they're not ogling the huntress, uh, you know, then they're uh, g- giving these ridiculous comments. Okay, some, some mm-hmm. of the comments are spot on, though, because they, you know, AJ Carruthers, the, what do we call him, the sheriff here? Um, yeah. He's probably got another designation, but he's turning towards the mayor and saying, you're lucky, mayor, you ordered the autopsy on these folks. You're lucky they, they're not on their way to, uh, to other th- higher authorities pressing charges <laughs> on you. <laughs> You know, yeah. yeah, he's like, listen, they were dead. You told me the coroner that's, told me. That's right. Exactly. <laughs> now, listen, then we get to page seven. Billy, now this is a great page here. We see mm. them cut to Metropolis. Now, as you might remember, uh, all star listeners, the last time we talked about Power Girl, she was heading off to deal with a situation in Metropolis where something mysterious had happened. A dome yeah. had appeared around the city. Nobody could get in or out. And Superman was nowhere to be found. So, of course, Power Girl had to take off, even though technically now she's based in Gotham City. Of course, she's going to help out and find out why her cousin is not defending his hometown or his home city. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So she shows up, Billy. And now this is an interesting thing that we got from our good friend, Martin Gray, who's sort of our unofficial third chair on uh, the All-Star Squadron podcast, World on Fire, and technically mm-hmm. also on, on Star Rocket Radio, although Randy is sort of, giving Martin a run for Martin's money, you know, for the, <laughs> the Star Rocket radio seat. But, you know, um, here we've got Power Girl showing up. And then we've got this um, reporter who, in fact, Power Girl, have, you know, will have a romantic relationship with. And she met him in her first appearance in Showcase. I think it was Showcase 97. Mm-hmm. This reporter was the one who acted as her Lois Lane. You know, if you think about Superman, uh, the <laughs> movie with Lois Lane doing the, the breakthrough interview, who are you yeah. and where are you from? This is kind of like um, Andrew Vinson, this reporter's role in the very first Power Girl appearance in Showcase 97, where he sort of scooped the interview with her. And then they had some romantic connections there for a while. But right mm-hmm. now he's firmly a thorn in her side, although a sweet thorn because he sort of sticks up for her. But Billy, what did Martin say about this cameraman? I mean, think about it. Who drew? Let's, let's first set the scene here. Who drew Power Girl? during that all-star sort of continuation in the 70s and who designed basically most of her look that became popular with readers. It was a very famous artist. Yeah, you know, I've been talking about it. It was Wally Wood and, you know, he, you know, drew her in a very specific way and <clears throat> uh, certain body parts of hers in very specific ways as well. <laughs> exactly. Now, whether this was intentional or not, I think it was intentional on Jerry Ordway's part. Um, this reporter has a cameraman (laughs) and Martin Mm -hmm. pointed this out to us and we're going to get to his comments later, but this is a very, very like it's on the money. Who does this port, this uh, cameraman resemble and what does he do with his camera? (laughs) Well, like she comes swooping in here and the guy has the camera right on her. He's just like, you know, a, uh, you know, like kind of a, a fly by nighter here, you know, it's nothing like, He's not anybody important other than that. But, you know, we talked about how, you know, Wally Wood would, you know, draw a Power Girl's chest to be very large and sometimes keep getting larger by the issue. And it seems like Jerry kind of toned that down a little bit. There's the cameraman and he's like zooming right in. (laughs) Exactly. So this cameraman also resembles Wood. 
I mean, Martin Gray even sent us a picture via email of Wally Wood and this cameraman. They have the same hairstyle (laughs) because obviously this cameraman is focused on her breasts and focused on her. And, you know, Wally Wood loved his good girl art or you couldn't Mm -hmm. even call it good girl art, you know, like Dave Stevens was known for. He, He sometimes drew these trashy <laughs> space females, but beautifully because Wood is a master. But, you know, yeah, he, he had his art crumb streak a little. <laughs> uh, naughty art. Naughty art. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. <laughs> his Richard Corbin phase or it never went away. So you can't call it a phase, I guess. So, yeah. but I love Wood. I love Wally, Wally Wood, you know. Great and, artist. Um, yeah. Tra- great. Tragic, tragic character, but, you know, good artist absolutely fantastic so you know this mm-hmm. is definitely this reporter is uh standing for wally wood here focusing only on power girls breasts and then andrew vinson he's offended but also you know that he doesn't get you know spotlight so he says hey wally try getting me in the picture once in a while too okay uh, <laughs> but if you check on the on the, the research you know like um <laughs> this is definitely ordway doing this this is oh i think so yeah because he's called wally you know so yeah yeah, so mm-hmm. Martin was right on the money there. And then, you mm-hmm. know, uh, the reporter and his cameraman follow Power Girl around as she interrogates these uh, military boys who are trying to get through this bubble. And they're using a welding torch to no avail. But yeah, then, torch. Yeah, and um, during this whole crisis, you know, um, Andrew is trying to interview Power Girl. I mean, he even puts his hand on her shoulder. <laughs> and Power Girl's not having it, right? She's saying, like, back off. <laughs> You know, I'm dealing with a crisis here. Mm-hmm. And then who comes flying in, Billy? Yeah, we see Superman. He comes flying in just casually and goes bloop, right through the bubble like it's nothing. When, you know, people and blow torches and everything else can't even make a dent in this. He just flew right through it. So, you know, Kara thinks to herself, uh, you know what? Well, since he's Kryptonian and he went right through it, maybe I could go right through it as well. And then she boop, right through. Yeah, she realizes he can. So it turns out Superman used his Kryptonian super science, probably even boosted by a bit of the ultra humanite, although that's never explicitly said. Established, um, yeah. Established. But I think Kryptonian super science here to create this energy bubble around Metropolis so that he can be he can be allowed to uh, uninterruptedly destroy the entire city. Mm-hmm. You know, he could at his leisure total the entire city of Metropolis, tear it down to the ground without yeah. being, uh, you know, bothered by the military while doing so and that's what mm-hmm. what his plan is he he admits yeah. as much to car uh, to car when she shows up and then he explains that this world is not worthy for someone like him you know he's a <laughs> what, what does he call himself an eagle you know very very appropriate comment because it was one that a famous cover of the superman title in the 1940s of the eagle you know landing on his arm <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah know? it's pretty and, bad pretty scary i mean jerry draws a really sinister superman here it's pretty good that's right he calls the people ants which is very appropriate for you know you know superhuman evil characters you know ants you know being people to be stepped on Mm -hmm. but he says specifically i am a soaring eagle trapped on a planet of ants (laughs) (laughs) wow (laughs) yeah holy crap yeah i'm just glad he didn't call the people rabbits because then he would have started tearing into the population there he seems to be content (laughs) just you know, smashing buildings and stuff rather than leaping buildings in the toll bound. He sort of smashes them down. And mm-hmm. uh, that's interesting too. And then power girl says she's not having it and they get into it. They're about to commence this uh, sort of injustice style, you know, battle. If you're talking about the injustice video game, <laughs> you know, this is stuff sort of what I was thinking about. 
because you know my my daughter she's getting into a little bit of gaming and although she doesn't like fighting games much she's been going through the catalog of stuff you know that that's available you know because we 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 have an xbox you know i mostly use it to to watch like you know disney plus or netflix and stuff and um, the odd dvd mm -hmm. the blu-ray but you know um there's some free games on there and especially if you you know you have there's, there's like the subscription service and my daughter's been you know into fighting on injustice 2 every now and then <laughs> and she the other day was power girl you know the the supergirl skin and then it becomes power girl fighting mm -hmm. the man of steel so i, I was reminded of this battle <laughs> right billy and mm. sadly to say for my daughter she lost terribly during that fight and you know <laughs> that's sort of like what's going to happen to power girl here too it doesn't bode well <laughs> if you mm. look at that as a bit of a foreshadowing to this issue so yeah. yeah oof, this is a horrific fight but first billy we cut to the huntress using her detective mm -hmm. skills and man is she a good detective she's following earth to dig grayson around what has she managed to suss out here she has detected that the one place where Robin is going to go is to a hospital because somebody is at the hospital in the, you know, care of the hospital that's, you know, on his last leg that he wants to kill. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's in the hospital wing of Arkham mm -hmm. Prison. Yeah. 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 Yep. Yep. And I love the scene of him getting there, too, by the way, and just Oof. kicking the crap out of a bunch of guards and stuff like that to be yeah. the, the infirmary of uh, Arkham. Yeah, and they, they mentioned that, um, you know, this uh, Gotham prison is not really known as Arkham, you know, uh, during the Earth 2. That came later, right, Billy? But yeah. they, they say that it is already infamous, in, infamous for sort of allowing, <laughs> they didn't say allowing, but for having people, you know, breaking out of it so easily. The Riddler, the Joker, they mentioned the Penguin, you know, penguin, yeah. easily breaking out of there. So they're infamous. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then the Batarang Batline zips around the railing there. And one of the, the guards thinks, hey, is Batman back from the dead? <laughs> <laughs> and then he's disappointed. It's only the boy wonder. But he gets a kick in his midriff for his trouble. Mm -hmm. And then we see that Dick Grayson is after the murderer of his parents. Now, who is this guy? But this is his, I mean, his only appearance was way back when, when he first, uh, you know, during the Golden Age uh, Batman and, but first, let me uh, tell the listeners, who is this this guy we're discussing that Robin wants to murder? Yeah, well, I've never read this guy in comics before. The only time I ever had ever heard of this guy was from the 1992 Batman television show, uh, the animated series, you know, that which was awesome. And on that show, he was called Tony Zuko, but now he's yeah, Boss yeah. Zuko. <laughs> yeah, you're right. Tony Zuko is a mirror of his Earth 2 counterpart, I think. Um, mm hmm Anthony Tony Zuko. Yeah. So his first appearance was in Detective Comics number 38, you know, from I think it was April 1940. And, you know, he, he was the one, the, the guy who tried to extort Haley's circus that Dick Grayson, the Flying Graysons were, you know, um, realists yeah. in. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And then, of course, that resulted in the murder of Dick Grayson's parents when the circus uh, ringleader, Mr. Haley, refused to pay. Uh, so the ropes protection were sabotaged. Money. Protection money, yes. Very mm -hmm. mobster-esque. The ropes mm -hmm. were sabotaged. The, the Graysons died. And then Dick Grayson was adopted uh, by Batman. Or he became the ward of Bruce Wayne. The Earth yeah. 2 Batman. But also that similar things happened uh, on Earth 1. Although there it was, yeah, yeah, a little bit different. But, but basically similar. So, yeah. you know, they, they capture him. They send him to jail. 
But now, of course, since Robin's under the influence of the stream of ruthlessness, he tries to murder Anthony Zuko in the hospital. I mean, but he's senile. The guy's completely senile. He doesn't even know who's trying to murder him. He won't. I mean, the Huntress points this out, you know, very mm-hmm. um, interestingly, right, Billy, that it doesn't matter if he murders him now. I mean, just leave him to his fate. That's worse torture than just ending his life quickly, this old mm-hmm. man, right? But not that the Huntress would want that. She wouldn't want the guy to suffer, you know. She's very much very, you know, um, sensitive to, to anyone's plight, be they criminal or not. But um, I mean, she's interested in criminal justice as well. So she doesn't want people to needlessly suffer. Robin, however, he Mm. wants to make this guy's death painful, probably. But listen, Billy, there's a very disturbing scene. Now, we talked to Randy online on Twitter, and we talked about this with other folks as well. How horribly the 80s portrayed trauma to superheroines. Trauma, you know, happening. So what happens to Huntress here once she tries to talk Dick down? Yeah, she like grabs his arm because she said, you know, I'm not going to let you do this. And he I'm trying to figure out how he does. He does it like some kind of like, you know, uh, martial arts move where she grabs his arm. But then he somehow turns it around and twists her arm behind her back and grabs her by the head. And I you don't see it, but I would assume he smashes her face into the ground because the panel after he switches the, you know, the move around. You just see him on top of her with her arm behind her back and her face is like smashed up pretty good. Yeah, 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 exactly, exactly. It's, it's, it's very disturbing because she's been basically yeah. her face planted into the metal floor there. Or I presume mm-hmm. it's metal, might be tile, but it looks like it's got a metal sheen. And then um, her arm's nearly broken and he says he would have broken her arm if she wasn't the daughter of the Batman. So he still has the the love and respect for the Batman, but... You know, he probably would have eventually broken her arm had she continued resisting. And then he's about to murder Zuka. And then she takes him out in a, you know, a very, I don't know, satisfying fashion. But it just shows her level of skill as well. What does she do? Well, I, I got to be honest with you. I thought she was going to yeah, like, kill him. Yeah. Or, 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 yeah. or injure she, him. Yeah, she, she pulls out this knife. And instead of throwing it blade first, she throws it handle first and hits him right off the head with it and knocks him completely out. And yeah, then, that's uh, right. She, and she gets up. But when she first got that, out, I thought, holy crap, is she going to throw this knife in his back? I couldn't believe it. Yeah, I was thinking that too. I mean, initially when I read it, because she pulled out this dagger. Now that, that leaves you wondering, why would she even have this very cool looking, you know, weapon on her, this dagger, which is, you know, normally used with lethal intent against people, but it's probably just to cut ropes and stuff. And, you know, That kind of thing. It could be. But, you know, also to be used as an offensive weapon sometimes. I mean, wound people. The Mm -hmm. Huntress is more, I I wouldn't say more violent or ruthless than the Batman. But, you know, she she does sometimes maim or injure criminals who deserve it. Because the Gotham criminals deserve it more than the most, (laughs) I I think. I mean, she has a line she won't cross, but that line is definitely further than Batman's. I agree. I agree. Definitely. So uh, she takes him out and um, saves the life of Boss Zuko. And this is the first mm-hmm. appearance since, you know, the, since 1940 that he's been in comics, right, Billy? So eventually, like you said, they'll use him on Earth One. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, this is his first appearance since then. So, but it's I- interesting that mm. she used her detective skills to figure out where he was going to go. And she was spot on. Mm-hmm. Well, well no done boy. there. I mean, we should hey. expect no less from, from the daughter of Batman. <laughs> yeah. Well, then here we go on that next page with the Yeti. <laughs> okay, this is a great fight, Billy. Think about it. 
man. Mm-hmm. Uh, okay, first, he insists, the ultra-humanite insists, this is now cutting to the mountains of Colorado, like you say, the Yeti-humanite, mm-hmm. <laughs> the ultra-Yeti. <laughs> he um, explains to uh, Brainwave Jr. and the Star Spangled Kid his entire plan and they are not willing to let him monologue endlessly. At first, in the beginning, they are. Star Spangled Kid says, don't attack him right away, Brainwave Jr. Let him talk. <laughs> but the Ultra Numenite says, oh, that's fine, because I want to talk. You know, I want oh, to explain. Yeah. I want to have witnesses. Before you die, I want you to know exactly how sinister my plan is, because it's a masterpiece. It's, a, it's, a, it's the greatest plan ever conceived. And I'm, I'm about to agree with him here, Billy, because, wow, this is well, really... Yeah, he I I like it, but I like how first he kind of like recaps his own origin. He says, as you know, I began my criminal career as merely a brilliant scientist. And he looks like Lex Luthor, by the way. And it says my ultra humanite uh, primarily cognomain came primarily from affectation. And it was that. Yeah, yeah, it says it was that damned Superman. (laughs) <laughs> Interfering in one of my schemes in 1940 caused my original body to be fatally wounded oh. by my own ray gun. <laughs> yeah, 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 exactly. You see, now, now remember, he predates Lex Luthor. So you could argue that Lex Luthor is technically based yeah. off of him, you know? That's true. Yeah. Yeah. So, but but still, you know, um, very interesting that uh, they have this visual similarity, you know, that all, you know, uh, bald guys are evil. And in that case, you and I, I believe we're evil. Well, I'm getting there. <laughs> yeah. Hey, why not? But then he, oh, I love how he says too. Only my incomparable brain could be salvaged by certain minions. Following procedures I had developed, soon I took over the shapely form of a popular movie actress and even yeah. contacted my ape incarnation across the decades. And that was all recounted in, you know, that big, huge story in uh, All Star Squadron. Yeah. No, it's, then, I've, yeah, sorry, continue. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And then here's something I didn't even know either. And then he said, in, where it was placed in time inside the body of a gigantic ant where I battled the Man of Steel in the 1950s. So he, the Ultra Humanite has been an evil scientist, an ape, a woman, and an ant. <laughs> so think about that. Dude, I'm just upset that he didn't mention the fact that he tried to once steal Batman's body. You know, you mm. know, he remained in his Dolores Winters form well into the 1950s, I think. And there was a storyline okay. in there where he tried to kidnap Bruce Wayne to steal his body. But again, <laughs> Superman foiled that, you know, so he didn't mention that. So that, that that's great. Like an important thing to leave out. But yeah, the body of an ant. <laughs> mm, yeah, and that show all of these things are in, in like smaller panels within like his brain almost in his head. And the bottom panel shows Superman and this flying ant coming at him. It's hilarious. Yeah, yeah. That's that's interesting. I love the fact that he said that he designed the you know the the ape body specifically to house his super brain because his brain is so powerful that his mental, you know, emanations and exertions cause these other bodies to burn out in time, mm-hmm. but this body will basically last him forever. Essentially it's immortal. Now, interesting, Billy, is he, he, it wasn't as if he cloned or built this body from scratch. This was a body taken from gorilla city, you know, by, um, mm-hmm. you know, the gorilla city, Solovar, you know, uh, gorilla Grod. Grod, yeah. yeah. And he, it was an albino gorilla originally, but he redeveloped it. So he obviously tweaked it genetically and so forth and, and mutated it. Yeah. 
And um, yeah, that's that's basically is a is an albino super gorilla. Incredible strength and durability far beyond that of a normal, uh, you know, uh, resident of Gorilla City. So, you know, mm-hmm. I love that about him. It's just his origin keeps getting wackier and wackier because he keeps improving himself. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and then he goes into his whole, like, what's going on with this actual scheme, how he lured Superman up to that area where that crazy okay, uh, stream yeah. is. Billy, now talk about yeah. that disturbing panel. Okay, oh, he, yeah. he lured I Superman like there. He blasted him with the low-level kryptonite ray to weaken him. And that is a disturbing panel. What does he do in that very next? I mean, th- this is the dream come true of the ultra-humanite, if you think about it. But he restrained yeah. himself there. What happens? What is <laughs> oh, shown? I love it. Yeah, it shows him. And he has Superman. Uh, he ha- grabs him by one of his arms and around his throat and just shoves him like he's trying to drown him and kill him underneath the water of that. Ko- koi haha or stream yeah. of ruthlessness yeah and it's it's disturbing looking it's like he's trying to murder him it's very disturbing man he drowns him but he knows mm-hmm. that this will result in <clears throat> the stream of ruthless ruthlessness taking effect and then mm-hmm. turning him evil so yeah and then they they realize the sinister scheme so star spangled kid and brainwave jr they've been uh positioning themselves on opposite sides of him and then they attack and mm-hmm. they uh, manage to get him off of his feet um, with the stellar blast and with the brain blast, but um, mm-hmm. then the ultra is not quite ready to stop monologuing. So he says, "Okay, since you guys want you guys want to get into the fight, I'm going to cover myself with a force shield so that I can continue talking." Because <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because villains love to tell you what they're going to do. <laughs> He's not done yet, but then he quickly wraps up because he sees that these these two are raring to go. They might somehow find a way through the shield, so he activates this hidden. Um, you know, uh, com- this, this, this hidden uh, hanger or something in the snow oh. that he concealed there. Yeah. And what comes out of there? Kid says, what's this? You've got an underground garage now. Because <laughs> <laughs> he's got a garage remote in his hand. Uh-huh, looks yeah. like and it. then this crazy, like, it almost looks like two drones. Like yeah. Yeah. See, yeah. A star Wars, but yeah, yeah, these two drones that are like heat seeking drones and they have lasers on them and they start, you know, trying to blast brainwave junior and, Star Spangled Kid here. It's great. Really good yeah, stuff. Yeah, they're outfitted with their own force shields, these drones. And they they look like heat-seeking missiles, which they are, but they've got lasers too. And then mm-hmm. Star Spangled Kid and Brainwave Jr., they avoid these, um, you know, sort of like Will Smith Independence, you know, day style, or what would you call it? <laughs> like with some fancy flying there, Maverick mm-hmm. Top Gun style by, you know, yeah. just banking sharply and then letting the, the drones crash into the mountainsides there. And then... Brainwave Jr. follows suit. You know, he, he gets the mm-hmm. trick from Star Spangle Kid where he levitates himself on that flying disc, which he probably also stole from Invisible Woman, <laughs> Invisible Girl from Fantastic <laughs> Four. And Maybe. then, you know, he just manages to knock off one of its wings, but then it causes an avalanche, which is directly caused by actually Star Spangle Kid. You know, mm-hmm. the explosion of his drone crashing into the mountainside and the avalanche takes both of them down. And mm-hmm. then speaking about Star Wars, isn't that a probe yep. droid from Empire Strikes Back that rears its head out of there? <laughs> All controlled, of course, that. yeah, by the ultra humanite. Yep, I had that little playset when I was a kid. It was like just like a maybe like a, a foot long yeah, uh, yeah, piece I of see. like plastic ice, and it had this crazy robot. Yeah, it was great. I remember seeing that, but I would have killed to have it, Billy, you lucky dog. Mm-hmm. But, mm-hmm. you know, this this disproves what the ultra-humanite said in the 1940s. Remember, she said, um, you know, surgery and, and surgical alteration and genetic modification has always been his strong suit. 
mm-hmm. and brain transplants and so forth. But um, robotics was his weak suit. You know, that's why he needed, um, uh, you know, uh, Robot Man it and Robot Man's lab partner, Grayson, you know, related yeah, yeah. to, of course, Dick Grayson, who, you know, is featured in this issue, Earth 2. And, um, you know, he needed them to affect the operation. But here it seems that he's improved his robotic skill because he's all these probes, all these drones, and he's got this underground layer of super science. And it mm-hmm. doesn't seem like he needs any help from anybody on that front anymore. Right, Billy? So no, that's like Dr. Doom level console there underground. Definitely, man. And then it ends with him saying, now only the children of the Justice Society remain to oppose me or more precisely to oppose their own forebears. One JS heir may fall, another may triumph, but killing by killing a once loved one, either way, the final victory shall belong to the ultra humanite. And then a world besieged by its heroes. <laughs> that's how it ends the issue. <laughs> wow. Dude, mm-hmm. that's a great issue. I loved it. Uh, what do you think? Rereading this just made me love it more. Oh, yeah. It was a blast. Loved it. And then, and don't forget the last, you know, couple of pages here. Of this course. was really a nice thing, too. A personnel, vital stats, you know, Infinity Inc. here. We have uh, Obsidian. And wow, mm-hmm. what a mm-hmm. pinup by Mike this is Macklin. A fantastic pinup by Mike Macklin, man. No, he's a Ooh. great artist in his own right. When you give him time, yeah. he can do amazing things with a with pen and ink and, and a pencil. And I love this obsidian. It seems that he's just emerging from a, a shadow on a rooftop and he's mm-hmm. about to fall into, you know, into space and then glide away. It looks amazing. Mm-hmm. And then uh, the personnel stats uh, card, which we saw in the previous issue too, featuring Jade stats, it shows that obsidian, uh, something we should take into account here, and it'll be um, come to the fore in the next issue. He's money-minded. He thinks that money equals security and happiness and success and so forth. So he, because he Mm -hmm. didn't have it as a kid and we realized that his dad became a drunk when he was 15 and his mom left with his younger brother. And, and after that, of course, Jeremy was their biological son, I think. And he was the adopted son, but you know, so he was uh, shacked up with his dad because uh, uh, you know, he had nowhere else to go and that affected him. And that's why he's so intent on succeeding in terms of fame Mm -hmm. and fortune. And uh, that might be to his detriment. It's definitely shown as a personal weakness that is, that is observed, <laughs> you know. Mm-hmm. And he shies away from romantic involvement. This is very easy, uh, interesting, because it turns out later on in Earth One, con- you know, uh, when uh, he, he went to Earth One after the crisis and so forth. Not went to Earth One, I, sh- I should say, when he became, uh, you know, part of DC regular continuity there after crisis. That he's gay, you know, he's a a gay character. Mm. And, uh, you know, Infinite Frontier shows that the recent series that, that DC did, uh, along with, of course, his dad, Alan Scott's gay. So they sort of bond through that, you know, Billy. They, they, they um, talk to each other about their, you know, social concerns and so forth about their, their lives, uh, their private lives. And he, him and his dad are close in, in current mm-hmm. DC comics, which is great. I, I like that, you know, about the character. He's definitely developed. But it's interesting that they mentioned this already here. It might be because hmm. he was still you know, unsure of who he was, mm-hmm. you know, in terms of, of, of that part of his life. So very interesting. And then he, he has this little write up about himself. So uh, I learned some things here from Obsidian, of course, maybe more now, now that I've reread it. I mean, when I read it as a kid, I probably just whatever, you know, this is just, uh, you know, an aside, but here it's very, very important. Now, Billy, mm-hmm. let's get to the next issue, man. This issue is my mm. favorite of the two. 
because this features evil Superman. Now, I'm not always a fan of the evil Superman trope, but this is the actual Superman becoming evil. Now, we've seen that dozens of times, most notably, like we mentioned earlier in Superman 3, but also, you know, during the, the Silver Age, where he became not so much evil as just a dick in some issues. <laughs> mm-hmm. Now, here, though, wow, this, this, this features some more superhero and trauma because this is probably the worst beating Power Girl has ever received in her life. She probably received a similar thrashing in the recent Jimmy Palmiotti, Amanda Connor series from a few years back, you know, where she was fighting. Yeah, there was a scene with the ultra humanite in there, but also this female enemy of hers. I forget the name. I'll, I'll remember it soon. And then she, she was also severely injured. But this one was especially upsetting to me. Uh, what do you think of this cover? Um, you know, it's not my favorite. Uh, yeah, I'm not sure. I just, I mean, Power Girl is there and she's all beat up and scraped up and everything. So I kind of get, you know, the why she looks the way she looks. But I don't know. Superman looks a bit odd to me. I don't know. He just looks off his legs and stuff like that. I, I don't know. It's just definitely not my favorite cover uh, mm. that we've seen so far. Probably my least favorite cover out of the seven we've looked at. Well, it's, it's definitely not one of my favorites either. Not for those reasons you mentioned, though. It's, it's the fact that they portray Power Girl as all bloodied up and, and battered on the cover. That's very upsetting. And also, yeah, Superman, you know, it does look a little bit out of proportion there. And they, it seems that the setting is there in a Western town, unless Superman has already completely destroyed the skyline of Metropolis there. Um, so it just looked a little bit weird to me. You know, this, this, this cover, the setting, you know, and of course it, it was uh, in bad taste a little for me there, but you know, your mileage might vary. I just don't like seeing, you know, power girl, you know, crawling at the feet of a man who's just recently battered her or any woman, you know, to, to be subjected to that. But you know what, this, this is what they did. So Jerry Ordway, Anthony Tolan on cover once again. Now this is infinity Inc volume one, number seven, of course, from October, 1984. Roy Thomas writing, Dan Thomas, and then pencil by Jerry. Uh, the interior is inked by Mike Macklin again. He returned, colored by Adrian Roy and Anthony Tolan. Lettered by David Cody Weiss, edited by Roy himself. All right, Billy. Yeah, so this cover, disturbing, man. Very disturbing. Let's talk about the interiors. <laughs> here we go with the... Ultra humanite. Yeah, squatch at his computer here. It's <laughs> great. <laughs> it looks funny. Oh, this, squatch. Is, this guy you know, is this big white ape, ape guy you know, at a computer console, the view screen and all these Love it. switches and stuff. It's great. <laughs> and him thinking to himself, that's two down, eight to go, as they say. My avalanche <laughs> buried the Star Spangled Kid and Brainwave Jr. Because he's <laughs> using devices to scan for signs of life and they're nowhere to be found. Now, we'll find out later why that is. Of course, we know they're not dead. But then, Billy, mm-hmm. that, that's the first page. When you get to page two and three, oh my massive gosh. two-page spread of... Oh, this is a great page. Speak on Ooh. this. Whew. Yeah, I just I just shared this the other day. You know, and of oh. course, people were like, oh, when's the, one of the first people was like, so when's the new episode coming out? And I was like, oh, a couple of days, man. Give us a... Randy. Give us, yeah, give us a couple of days, man. We're, we're working on it, but... Yeah, it's uh wow. It, this two-page spread is just incredible. Like the ultra humanite looks like a super maniac creep. And then you see everything that's going on in these little like little vignettes and little spaces here. You know, you have power grown Superman, 
Then mm. you have the whole Huntress and Robin going on over there. And then in the middle, you have something that didn't happen yet, but it was about to happen, you know, uh, Hawkman and Wonder Woman. And then Silver Scarablita and uh, uh, Norda. That's, that's going to be in this one here coming right up. Exactly, man. And then you've got Roy using some quotations here from famous films. Uh, you know, Rosebud, of course, we know we all know where that's from. And then, uh, you know, is it Citizen Kane, right, Billy? Yeah, 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 yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> no, I was just, I was just, uh, you know, <laughs> I was kidding there. Of course it is. Made it, Ma. Top of the world. Mother of mercy. Is this the end of Rico? Now, of course, all of those things refer to, I, I don't know. Some of them are a little bit strange to me, but, but topical. I don't know if you needed to use three, though. Right, Billy? Yeah. Yeah, this, 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 this sort of still deals with the fact that, you know, things are going badly here for the, for the, for the, for the people. Right. Mm-hmm. But um, I don't know. This is just, uh, yeah. Three is a little bit much, <laughs> but still interesting. Mm-hmm. Past yeah. glories, future tears, very dramatic uh, <laughs> titles here that Roy was going for, but he always went for some drama if he could. Mm-hmm. And um, hey, why then, not? Right. Yeah. And then you've got this, I, I love the fact that I didn't expect this from the ultra humanite because she certainly, or he, I should call him now because she's not, you know, Dolores Winters anymore. He mm-hmm. certainly did not show any, you know, concern for his buddies uh, in the secret society of supervillains or, you know, during the forties when he had death bolt and psychotron along for the ride. But here he, uh, he expresses some affection for the brainwave. The other yeah. great JSA villain, uh, my personal two greats are, of course, Ultra Humanite and the Brainwave. And he says that he was going to spare Brainwave Jr. because of his past friendship with Brainwave Sr., but mm-hmm. that didn't work out. So, so this is interesting. I didn't expect that from someone who murdered, you know, who committed genocide would then suddenly think about, you know, an old enemy as a friend. Maybe he's been getting, getting lonely in his old age. <laughs> Getting a little soft. <laughs> yeah. And I love the fact that he says now after the JSA have destroyed their legacies and destroyed their kids, probably in the process, he will then just continue to conquer the world. And then he ends with saying, for one such as the ultra humanite, what else is there? That's right. Andrew Vincent again, uh, he's, Sort of uh, got a helicopter on standby, circling the dome, uh, mm-hmm. you know, telling us what's happening between Power Girl and Super, uh, uh, sorry, and Power Girl and Superman. I was going to mm-hmm. say Power Girl and Supergirl. Power <laughs> Girl and Superman. And then they're fighting in front of the Daily Star building there, which mm-hmm. is soon going to be totaled. Now, Billy, this is an, a, a tremendous impact because they fly at each other and collide and vroom, windows shatter. Uh, you know, all through the, throughout the city. And then Power Girl was flying through the dome. Mm-hmm. Now, this is very funny. She ends up totaling a Jeep and a tank as she lands. Mm-hmm. And then Andrew Vincent is, is worried about her. He's never seen her getting hit this hard before. So he says, are you all right? And Power Girl says, sure, great. The Jeep slowed me down and the tank broke my fall. <laughs> <laughs> what is, is the, so the ta- Yeah. Say, isn't it about time you broke for a commercial or something? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, dude. She doesn't want to be on TV getting beat up. <laughs> That's another great line there. Yeah, it's fantastic. Mm-hmm. But she's already bruised and battery. I'm not bleeding yet, but it's it's going to happen soon. She ends yeah. up flying back for another, you know, try at Superman. Because I think she's been pulling her punches a little bit here. 
you know, um, but now she's, she's going full out. Still, that doesn't help. Superman's in the process of totaling the Daily Star building. He's toppling the, you know, the Daily Star sign up on the roof there. And not yeah. as spectacular looking as Metropolis this was, but we know that it was the Daily Star, not the Daily Bugle, you know, in, on Earth 2. Um, and then, you or know. Daily Planet. Yeah, yeah. Sorry, Daily Bugle being Spider-Man. What am I saying? Damn, what's wrong with me? <laughs> Holy God, I should be taken out to the shed, you know, back backyard and shot <laughs> like a lame <laughs> horse or something. Damn, yeah. The Daily Planet, of course, Earth 2 was the Daily Star originally. Um, yeah. If I'm not mistaken, I think the Daily Planet was a was a, a construct of the two Superman radio show, right, Billy? Could be, yeah. yeah. It's been around for a very, very long time. I know that. Yeah. Um, so daily stars being totaled here, and then he topples the stars and the sign on top of some uh, yeah. passersby, which is very disturbing because this shows that he is now transitioned from murderous. destroying the city to being murderous towards the uh, as the metropolitan the uh, metropolis citizens call themselves metropolitans. <laughs> the one guy <laughs> says, I-, "I thought Superman was one of us, a, a metropolitan." <laughs> <laughs> That's great. Interesting. Sh- yeah, she chucks it right back at him. And of course, he just smashes it into like a million little pieces and then they start fighting again. That's right, man. That's right. Now, believe we should have a look at the faces here of the folks because, I mean, we've already seen Wally Wood turn up. Now, this this one guy that says, you know, um, you know, he's part of the crowd. And this woman says, Power Girls, stop Superman. You just watch. And then this one guy says, I'm not just watching. I'm praying. He looks like Roy Thomas a little look there in the 80s. <laughs> he kind of does a little bit. Yeah, the Just a hair. little. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then uh, Power Girl obviously tries to save these folks. She grabs the star, hurls it back at Superman, and then he just totals it. He, he smashes it into dust almost. And mm-hmm. then he proceeds to beat up Power Girl here. She's having a terrible time of it. He collapses a building on top of her. She, mm-hmm. you know, sort of frees herself from the rubble, but now she's looking definitely the worst for wear and she tackles him through uh sort of like a what, what do you call it like a, a train couple car. of train cars and yeah. listen billy didn't this remind you of the scene in man of steel where superman sort of tackles zod through at first what seems to be like a power plant and then through a couple of train cars in smallville and then they smash into a convenience store and then start tearing up smallville there or or into a gas station do you remember that scene uh, I have committed absolutely nothing from recent to DC, memory. <laughs> DC films and memory. So moving on. <laughs> oh yeah, dude. No, I'm, I'm the same. I, I don't know why I remembered that scene particularly. Like it's probably because you think you could hurt my mother. <laughs> and Zack Snyder's really obsessed with mothers in, in that entire <laughs> trilogy. Oh. You know? oh no. You just, you just said the Z word. Oh no. <laughs> oh no. We're doomed. <laughs> <laughs> his minions sorry, are plotting our, our demise that. now <laughs> this has nothing to do with earth 2 but you know superman was murderous there and he's murderous here so i think this was probably Zack snyder's favorite issue he doesn't beat up girls in that well he beats up well no he gets beaten up by a girl in man of steel mm-hmm. let's stop talking about man of steel i apologize yeah let's, yeah, let's let's release the star rocket radio cut <laughs> uh, oh hey, hey. <laughs> <laughs> there are lots of cuts being made here, man. My editing mm-hmm. skills are are mm-hmm. in, insanely, you know, honed at this point in time. I could release some scary cuts if I wanted to. Mm-hmm. Now, listen, listen, Power Girl, she still tries to reason here with her cousin, but this is something that's totally out of character for her. For me, Power Girl would have fought to the death here, but she ends up leaving. 
Mm -hmm. know, she turns tail and runs. Now, that's not totally, you know, in bad form, right? She's she leaves, but for a reason. But Superman's just laughing, and then he leaves. That leaves the military to take him on, right? Yeah, which is a joke. We know this. Which is a joke, man. And then uh, he laughs, and he. Now, this is very sinister. What does he say there, Billy? When when she leaves? Yeah, well, like I said earlier, he Jerry Ordway on the cover, and then on the interiors here, he draws a really creepy. He says. She says she's leaving and Superman says, go on then and don't show your cowardly face around Metropolis again. But then you won't be able to do that after today, will you? Because Metropolis will have ceased to exist. <laughs> yeah, that's the line I was wanting you to read. That's a very sinister line. He's, he's nuts. He's completely crazy yeah, at this point it. in time. And yeah, he's, he's like the worst. Like, think about it. The worst fear in DC, actually, among everybody, I'm thinking is an evil Superman, really. Well, yeah, because um, think about it. Batman's dead. If Batman was still alive, he, <laughs> Superman would be dead in like two seconds flat because he would have a piece of kryptonite and shove it up his arse and he'd be dead. <laughs> so it's it, that's the only reason this is, this is going on. All right. Continue. Yeah, yeah. I wouldn't be surprised. I wouldn't be surprised if that happened. You're right. Mm-hmm. No, no, no. This is this is some scary stuff here because, uh, yeah, yeah. Um, where we're left there and we won't see Superman for a while now and what's happening to Metropolis, mm-hmm. you know, for at least Ooh, two I love this two next issues. scene though. Yeah, what happens? Mm. Speak on that, Billy. This is a great yeah. scene. Yeah, so we've got, you know, uh, Jade and Obsidian, Nuclon and uh, Fury and uh, they're like outside uh, Washington, D.C. in a Virginia countryside home. Um, she's going to uh, the house of uh, I well, think she's it's going uh, to her mom's house. It's uh, Stephen yeah, Le- Steve Steve and Diana's and she goes in and she sees a picture of them and you know she's wondering about you know if they're okay and this and that and you know she looks through a photo album and starts reminiscing and then all of a sudden they're just like you know hey uh you know she she finds some paperwork actually I think you know and it says about an Egyptian exhibit yeah Mm. and they think oh maybe that's where she is and then she says about going and looks in an open drawer at a desk and that's where Steve's uh uh, revolver his oh it's revolver's missing yeah yeah his gun from the war was in there and it's missing and she's like oh crap so they head right over to that uh that exhibit and oh it's the crap hits the fan from here you're right i love that that home visit that she had uh they mm-hmm. drop her off they drop off later at home and then they fly off and uh, do their own business you know look for the atom and for green lantern Jade and Obsidian mm-hmm. Nuclon. But then Leita is investigating her mom's study because and her trophy room because she's hoping mm-hmm. to find clues as to where her mom might have gone. And mm-hmm. I and then she happens upon what you say, this pamphlet that tells of this Egypt uh, this Egyptian exhibit where this statue of Horus resides, which apparently has the ability to confer immortality or holds the secrets of immortality. So uh, in her mind, Leita's thinking, what would her mom do if she's evil? Would she try to reclaim her lost immortality? Because after all, once you leave Paradise Island and choose the world of man as an Amazon, you lose your immortality. Yeah. And, um, and she's thinking about how her mom used to say that she'd never, never marry her dad, never marry Steve Trevor until all injustice has been eradicated from man's world. And then she eventually just bent that rule a little by saying that she could, couldn't wait that long because after all, she mm-hmm. was getting older, but not as, yeah. old, as old as Steve got because it seemed that even though she's lost her immortality. She still ages at a slower rate. And this is probably mm-hmm. not related to Ian Carcool's, you know, radiation. This is just Wonder Woman's natural physiognomy, her, you know, her natural physical, you know, uh, makeup that makes her mm-hmm. tougher than humans. So she ages slower. Yeah. 
And then mm-hmm. she goes through this family album and you see Edda Candy, you see their wedding, you know, the Diana and Steve getting married. And that's very British sweet because mm-hmm. if you've read to the end of this issue, you know what's going to happen. It's tragic. Mm. She also sees Dr. Psycho and the cheetah there, you know, thinking how her mom <laughs> kept battling them throughout the, the decades. And, you know, I love the fact that she deduces wrongly that Wonder Woman will try to look for a way to restore her lost immortality and take over man's world. <laughs> and you have this scene in her memory where Wonder Woman's sitting on a throne surrounded by Amazons and she has, well, well you know, a man uh, in chains showing up, you know, um, shackled and, you know, as a prisoner <laughs> there, she's going to mm-hmm. judge him or something. And then uh, Scarab and Northwind show up. Silver Scarab. She tackles Silver Scarab. Again, they almost mm-hmm. get into a fight. They almost got into a fight two issues back. They did get <laughs> into a fight in the snow. And then that's mm-hmm. when they find the exhibit. And now that's tied to Scarab's, Silver Scarab's sort of deduction of where his dad might have gone because his dad's an archaeologist, right, Billy? And yeah. he's also interested in this um, Egyptian exhibit. Now, this does not belong to the States. This exhibit is just temporarily at the Metropolitan Museum of Art, the Met. And of course, uh, you know, if they do steal, end up stealing this statue of Horus, which it seems that Diana and Carter Hall, Hawkman is now after, mm-hmm. uh, then they would cause an international incident and uh, they'll be wanted by the law for the rest of their careers. And then they deduce correctly where they're going, but not the reasons why they're going there. In Hawkman's case, they're right, though, right? He just wants it for himself. If he can't, like yeah. in in, Car- in uh, Hector Hall's words, if his dad can't dig it up, he'll steal it. <laughs> 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 he really doesn't think much of his pop. Mm-hmm. So we cut to the museum, right? This uh, security guard, lazy guy just sitting there chilling, and then boom, crack. You know, Wonder Woman and Hawkman smash through the wall. Hawkman punches out the guard and they head to this exhibit. They see the statue of Horus and he's holding these two items of power, mm-hmm. a rod and a flail. <laughs> <laughs> mm-hmm. Into some SMN there, uh, S&M mm-hmm. there, Horus. <laughs> <laughs> this kinky Egyptian yeah. god. And then Hawkman, man, this guy is a backstabbing prick when he's got no morals. What oh, does yeah. he do, Belly? Yeah, he's like, oh, yeah, why don't you grab that stuff? And as soon as she puts out her hands towards it to, like, grab the stuff, he slaps these handcuffs on her. And, of course, you know, she can't do anything if she gets, you know, bound by a man. <laughs> oh, man, yeah. And then he coated them with, you know, uh, nth metal. Nth metal. Yeah. And she's floating up and he even opens the skylight <laughs> first so that she can drift away into the stratosphere and die from suffocation. Man, that that is some evil stuff right there from Hulkman. And then, oh yeah, I oh, love well, it though. He oh. says, "I'll play gentleman though and open the skylight for you. <laughs> Given give my regards to the stratosphere while you still can breathe." And she goes, "You filthy!" <laughs> and yeah, he and he says, off. "Careful, Diana. You'll turn my head with all that flattery." <laughs> <laughs> but before, yeah, as soon as she barely starts floating out, and then here comes a uh, Norda and uh, Silver Scarab. And she plays it pretty smartly here, right? She's clever. Yeah. She says, oh, Hawkman did this to me, but I've managed to overcome. Well, they, they deduce that she's overcome the stream of ruthlessness uh, effect. And then she says, oh, I need your help, boys. And Silver Scarab, man, with, I mean, his suit obviously gives him some super strength as well, because with one karate chop there, he, you know, <laughs> cracks those manacles and he sets her mm-hmm. free. 
And of course, we know Earth 2 Wonder Woman can, you know, when she's bound by a man, you know, she's completely helpless. And that's why she couldn't mm -hmm. use her super strength to even kick old Carter there earlier. But now she's <laughs> free and she's out for revenge. But first, Fury shows up in the museum just as Hawkman's about to what it seems to be like embrace the statue of Horus there. And then he, mm -hmm. you know, belts her there. Well, when he uses his knee to sort of like, you know, hit her in the solar plexus. And she says, yike. And yeah, he, he says, he almost has her like a tie clinch. In this, exactly. In this sort of knee. Dude, yeah. dude, just listen to his dialogue. She says, you don't want to be cause an international incident. And he says, why later? I never thought of it that way before. Why start off with just an art theft when I can escalate it to assault and battery? And then, yeah, he really goes to town on her. Yike! And he smashes her into the ceiling. And then when she's dazed, he's picking up mm. this mace and he's about to brain her. Now, we know that she's durable. She's superhumanly tough. But I don't think she'll survive a blow with a mace to the head. Right, Billy? No, especially not if it has, if it's his personal and it has the nth metal. It oh, probably yeah. would kill her. It would probably yeah. kill her. Definitely. And then sizzle... Scarab shows up just in time, Silver Scarab, and he melts the mace. And mm -hmm. uh, you'd have thought that slag would drip all over the Hawkman and severely disfigure him. But no, that didn't happen. It was yeah. melted into nothingness here. And then <laughs> Wonder Woman takes her shot. She like backhands old Scarab, sends him flying. You've served your purpose, boy. <laughs> and then she starts yeah, to strangle. Says, yeah. And he's like, and who else is here to stop you before you? What the hell? <laughs> Not yeah. Picks him up and says, get out of here, boy. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Man, but this, li listen, she could have snapped his neck there anytime she wanted to, but she opted mm -hmm. to for slow strangulation. And Norda, ever the, you know, pacifist, you know, not using his globless oh, gun this brother. time around, which he should have, he nets yeah. them in a sort of a fishing net from a different exhibit. Mm -hmm. And he says, I hope this will have the same effect as a male manacling her and then nope she tears that net apart at least mm -hmm. she you know briefly let go of hawkman who's now probably have half of his windpipe crushed mm -hmm. uh, or his esophagus damaged there and then yeah. she picks up the statue of horus and she's gonna hurl it at them she says she doesn't want you know the statue well, yeah she just wants the secrets it holds for immortality she's probably hoping it's contained i mean this, she says it might be contained within the rod and the flail mm -hmm. um and then who shows up at the worst oh, yeah. possible moment yeah you see at the entrance you know uh steve and uh fury says mother no that statue is priceless and she's like to carter hall perhaps but i want the only the rod and the flail and then diana angel wait and then she chucks the statue up against the wall and it kind of like brings the wall down and uh, it brings the wall right down on Steve. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's critically injured. And yeah, that's this is very terrible. Yeah. And uh, then Wonder Woman, she sort of reveals snaps out of it. Yeah, she snaps out of it and she reveals what she really wanted. She didn't want to regain her lost immortality. That's impossible for an Amazon to do once they've left Paradise Island. Mm -hmm. uh, what she wanted was to find a way to make Steve immortal because she would probably yeah. presumably still be alive for a hundred years or more. He's slowly dying. He's much older than she is. And um, I, I mean, physically. And so she wanted to sort of give him a longer life to live with her. And mm. now, you know, she's caused the opposite by, you know, uh, making his death all the more imminent. 
And then it ends on this very sad splash panel, Billy, which sort of mirrors wow. what happened in All-Star Squadron 20. Do you remember the Green Lantern issue, All-Star Squadron 20, yeah. where he, in the brainwaves, dream-induced you know, realm, Green Lantern, Alan Scott caused the death of, uh, you know, all these millions of Japanese folk, you know? Yeah. And then what happened was Wonder Woman comforted him at the end there where he said, I am become death, the shatter of worlds, right? From the Bhagavad Gita, that powerful issue. And mm -hmm. uh, here, Wonder Woman is mourning Trevor, you know, Steve Trevor and Norda and mm -hmm. Scarab in the background there, the skylight at the top with just darkness all around them. And yeah. then later crying over her dad. And then... She's saying something that very similar. I am become yeah. myself the angel of his death. So I think they intentionally sort of mirrored this scene with that classic scene from that issue of All-Star Squadron. What do you think? Could be. Yeah, it's very reminiscent of it, but I like it a lot. It's, it's powerful. And like you Oof. said, other than the skylight, the entire back, you know, behind them is black. It's, you know, like, you know, yeah. it's signifying death. And there's Steve Lane there. Looks, looks dead. And, you know, Fury's crying, noticeably crying. It's yeah, it's pretty, pretty tough looking uh, page to look at there. Yeah, definitely. Definitely, man. So, yeah, it ends on a very sad note, uh, you know, all-star listeners. But we'll, you know, hopefully pick up our emotions again and uh, you know, dust them off come next episode when we discuss the culmination of the storyline, right, Billy? with the mm -hmm. ultra-humanite returning for his ultimate revenge. So mm -hmm. some horrible things happening along the way, but um, yeah, it sort of fleshes out the characters and gives yeah. us more emotional connections to these stories. Now, listen, there's another vital stats personnel sheet mm. and a pinup. Now, who is the pinup uh, presenting here to us, Billy? Well, this time we get the Huntress and wow, again, Mike Macklin. This is just Oof. incredible. That it's like the Huntress front and center, and in the background you have Batman and Robin and the Bat Signal there. And I'm you know assuming Gotham, but wow, yeah, it is fantastic. incredible. Gotham City there, and I love her face. You know the way he draws her face; she's absolutely mm -hmm. stunning. And yeah. of course, her, her entire look just works for me. You know, it's uh, yeah reminiscent of both Catwoman and Batman. Her mom and dad, you know, in there, mm -hmm. and she even employs devices that are you know, based off of both of their tech that they used to use. I love that. And of course, um, this you don't see, but you do see her swinging through the the city there. And like you mm -hmm. said, the back, you know, Batman, Robin, I, I, I would have liked it if he included Catwoman somehow there, you know, in, but yeah, maybe, maybe that, that wouldn't have worked. Yeah. That would have been a little bit better than Robin if you think about it. Yeah. 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 It would so, have been better if they were a little smaller too. I, I mean, I know you're there. She was, you know, derived from batman and catwoman you know but they're a little too prominent for a spotlight on her i think yeah maybe but you know who are we to complain i mean we're not art critics and you know we're not <laughs> uh, close to mike macklin's status but yeah i mean there's something that could have been improved by this cover i love her though her image is mm -hmm. is beautiful so well done mike yeah, macklin there it's great and then we get to her vital stats which shows that she's you know an overachiever right and mm -hmm. she's also, you know, obviously part of the uh, law firm that she works at with uh, Dick Grayson. And, you know, Dick Grayson is actually, you know, he, other than being a lawyer, um, you know, and part of this law firm that Elena Wayne's affiliated with, 
uh, or a part of, I should say. Dick Grayson was also briefly the ambassador to South Africa on Earth 2. Mm. You know that, mm-hmm. Billy? And uh, hey, don't live that's, on Earth 2. That's where I <laughs> hail from, man. You probably would have uh, you know, helped us out, you know, help the country, you know, get shit that horrible apartheid earlier if he was there, I, I was thinking. But nope. Yeah, we didn't have him here on Earth Prime. <laughs> Unless he would have drank. Him. Unless you would have drank from the water of Koi Haha, then you would have been in big trouble. Ooh, yeah, yeah. Now I'm not talking about this <laughs> <laughs> Infinity Inc. 6 and 7 iteration. Definitely not. <laughs> Damn. Although that might have worked. He might have murdered some of our horrible leaders. <laughs> no, I shouldn't say know. that. I shouldn't say that. <laughs> yeah. I mean, we're, we're talking here about the apartheid leaders, by the way. I'm not talking about the, the guys who followed on. But yeah. So um, overachiever. And of course, she's a workaholic. That's one of her weaknesses and then she writes about how she you know um reveres the law ever since the the hammurabi you know um initiated that so in ancient babylon so interesting very very interesting she sees that as the the core of civilization the law and our adherence and respect for the law okay right billy so now we've got some feedback to get to we've got uh, two uh Great bits of feedback here. Uh, I'll start off with our ever-present third co-chair, who's, who's now being challenged by Randy. But of course, I'm referring here to Mr. Martin Gray. He sent us a lengthy um, email full of great points. Uh, he obviously mentioned what we earlier talked about, about Wallywood showing up as a cameraman there. It was definitely Jerry putting mm-hmm. him in there uh, to you know make him ogle power girl there <laughs> since Wally was so obsessed <laughs> with the female form. And then mm-hmm. he, you know, Martin also mentions that, you know, it's interesting that the cover to issue four is unique because it's a mortuary cover. Can we recall any other mortuary covers? Now, off the top of my head, Billy, I can't. And also, I, I didn't do much research, but, you know, just relying on my, my uh, you know, store of covers here in my mental, you know, uh, bank, <laughs> memory bank, I can't think of any you know striking mortuary scenes on covers of comics so you know listeners might have to chime in there but we could do a probably a search on that Uh, i just i I just want this to seem more natural and not just very clinical where we just go searching for it yeah i did kind of take a quick peek looking for one and every time you bring up like the word funeral or something like that you get covers that show funerals like obviously superman funeral for a friend and stuff like that like you know like burial scenes sometimes in uh you know, like a cemetery, but not necessarily like at a funeral home like that, like or a mortuary or whatever, you know, like where it showed them, you know, you, you, I couldn't find any. Yeah, there's definitely some horror comic covers related to corpses coming back to life uh, in, you yeah. know, mortuaries, but um, nothing. Mausoleums. Yeah, mausoleums that nothing really stands out, really. I mean, obviously they do stand out, but they're not famous covers that, that are known yeah. throughout comicdom. And then Martin goes on to say that it's interesting that, uh, you know, Norda's people, the bird people of Fedora and the Arctic Circle there allowed Dr. Cantrell, Norda's father, initially to come and study them since they're (laughs) intent on secrecy. I won't won't the scientists want to write papers about them and publish the papers. But then Martin goes on to say that, oh, they probably set up Norda's mom as a honey trap (laughs) to allow, (laughs) to to, to let, you know, to to, to bind him to the society, make him never want to leave and. (laughs) Mm-hmm. <laughs> that's very funny so good mm-hmm. one there martin and then um you know uh he says that jenny's family jenny lynn hayden of course here 
uh, Jade's family having stuff in common with the Cunninghams from Happy Days is very, very uh, interesting because after all, Jade also had the vanishing brother, literally talking about the power of Obsidian to vanish, <laughs> just like the Cunninghams, you know, brother, they're vanished. So interesting. And then, although I must say, I never watched Happy Days Lodge. This is one of what I've been reading up on it in order to reply to Martin's comment here. So, Billy, you're a big Happy Days fan? <laughs> I used to watch it when I was a kid a lot. You know, it was in syndication by then. Yeah. So it was all over television. It was a very long running show. I think it ran for 10 years, which is, you know, very long running television show, especially for back then. So I used to watch it a lot. Yeah, it was a trip. Yeah. And then you and I mentioned that Jade is seemingly more powerful than Alan Scott. And um, maybe we shouldn't have mentioned that because Martin is right here. He says, no, he disagrees with that. Alan is much more powerful than Jade, uh, even though she doesn't always needs to need to recharge her ring like he does have, have to do with Lantern. She does, in fact, need to rest, uh, you know, her power pulse every now and then to recover her strength. But um, yeah, she's definitely not more powerful. I think, yeah, you're right, Martin. I just meant her powers are probably a little bit more convenient because she doesn't need to rely on this power source to recharge it. But yeah, definitely Alan Scott might be more experienced, more powerful, certainly, because after all, his powers come from the source, directly from the mm -hmm. source um, of the metal. And then Jenny's doesn't. All right. right. So it's interesting. Uh, Martin says that when Jenny first phases, she said, I went right through this door like it was some kind of, I was a green ghost. And um, uh, Martin says, I wonder if Roy had the idea of Jade as a semi-Spectre legacy at the back of his mind. Because if you think about it, her, her color scheme is very reminiscent of the Spectre, green and white. So uh, Martin's saying that maybe Roy set it up to be sort of a mystery to the readers at the time. Like, is she the daughter and is Obsidian the son of the Spectre rather than the Golden Age Green Lantern? And, you know, later on, Green Lantern in, in Earth, you know, um, one continuity becomes the Spectre. So that would have been even more appropriate, even though Roy didn't know anything about that. But the Spectre and Green Lantern are sort of linked sometimes. And especially during the Golden Age, where, you know, both of their powers are magic-based. Obsidian's mm -hmm. very Spectre-like too. So it could be that Roy was thinking along those lines. I've never read about that in any of the research we've done in the All-Star Companions and in Alter Ego magazines, but it's definitely an interesting idea, right, Billy? Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, for sure. Absolutely, it is. Yeah, but I think that the green light is a dead giveaway. She's definitely the lantern's daughter, and of course, it would be established she is. Okay, so he says, as nice as the early Kubert art was, he's talking about that insert of the Hawkman tale about the discovery of Fedora. Um, he can't be bothered to wade through the Golden Age Hawkman story when he was rereading or when he was reading this issue. Uh, we really didn't need it. Was this a way to get around a deadline? It might very well be. I think they inserted it there. But also Roy wanted to showcase some Golden Age stuff and art. And that story was long out of print, of course. And mm -hmm. maybe back then it was a rarity, but now it's so easy to come by, you know, with the All-Star Squadron, you know, archive reprints and all of that and digital, you know, availability. But back then it might be Roy really wanted to insert that because it was a rarity for folks to see Golden Age comics back then. It, right. That might be, but it might also definitely be because of the deadline. They won't admit it. <laughs> <laughs> That that's what it was, but it's possible, definitely, Martin. And then he says, sure. as far as issue number four, that was all the comments about issues number four. Um, and now he goes on to issue number five. He likes the cops' cheeky attitude towards the kids. You know, the cops uh, that wanted to let the autopsy go ahead. And it doesn't make logical sense that the mayor would believe they were actually calling Hawk Girl when they doubted the kids were close to the JSA. 
then again, as it turns out, he didn't actually care about permission because they were going to go just, you know, go ahead with the autopsy. The cop was just stringing the kids along. He deserves a bash from Shira's mace. <laughs> Harsh. Wow. But I would say AJ Carruthers, definitely that would be an improvement for his face. <laughs> okay, from the profile page, this is still Martin talking here. It seems that Jenny badly needs help with spelling and punctuation and capitalization. You know, Martin, he's a journo. He's a journalist. He knows all of, he, he's, a, he's a great writer. He knows what he's talking about here. Jenny definitely, well, she got very low scores in high school. So this is understandable. They probably did that on purpose, but that's her character, you know, Martin. So we're going to go with that. But great that Martin caught that and that Roy put that in there. And then he goes on to tell us about Wally Wood gonna, that, that was going to be showing up in issue six. And he posted a picture of Wood and a picture of the cameraman called Wally that Jerry drew there. So it's definitely, that's definitely Jerry referencing Wally Wood there, especially connected to Power, Power Girl. And then Billy, he goes on to mention that uh, Kara looks incredibly skinny. You know, it is kind of a shock to see her that skinny. And Martin says it was shocked to him yeah. when he saw her flying up there on in that panel. And um, so when we ever have, you know, maybe an interview with Jerry, if we, we, we already mentioned we might, you know, try to get Jerry Ordway on. We've mm -hmm. definitely got a, a, a line there uh, that we could reach him on, right? I, I mean, mm -hmm. through, through Mitch Halleck from Terrificon, who's our friend. Uh, he does mm -hmm. a podcast with Jerry. So hopefully we'll still get that going. Um, and then he says we should ask if Jerry deliberately, deliberately reduced her breaths, uh, breast size, <laughs> you know, <laughs> just to stick it to wood. You know, hey, Wally, what are you doing here? So in other news, um, and he just says, you know, he loves the comments from Randy. And he's sure Randy wasn't berating us for our description of Elena's death. It's more the disturbing way she died in crisis. And uh, of course, we know Randy's just joking about that. Martin is completely right about that. Yeah. And um, he also goes to then uh, say the Dark Knight daughter trade paperback collecting some great Huntress stories might be going cheap under its other name, Huntress Origins. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So I, I've since acquired those issues digitally. I'm probably not going to go for the original because all the sellers don't ship to type. Hey, unfortunately, so they don't ship to Taiwan. So I'll let that for, I'll leave that up for someone else who's listening to the podcast to snag that copy or those copies that are still available. And then Mart ends with saying to Infinity Inc. and beyond. Thanks, Mart. Fantastic comments. Mm. So Billy, yeah, again, absolutely. Martin brings it. He always uh, drops the knowledge <laughs> and he's always spot on. Just read his blog, listeners, and you'll see how good this guy is. That's at Too Dangerous for a Girl. Um, you know, it's a great you know, uh, review sites and also, you know, general commentary about all things DC, Marvel, superior related, mostly DC though. Yeah. And Martin's also got a lot of, lots of guest appearances on many podcasts, um, most often on the Fire and Water Network shows. Mm -hmm. So then we've got a, co a comment here from a new listener, Matthew Seurat. I hope I'm pronouncing your surname correctly, Matthew. S-I-R-O-I-S, Seurat, I think it is. And uh, Matthew says, hello, gentlemen. I'm a tad late to the party, but I just binged your first three episodes. I love it. Infinity Inc. was one of my favorite comics from the early 80s. And the Generation Saga is one of my all-time favorite stories. Mine too, definitely, Matthew. And then he says, I'm so happy I found this podcast. I'll have to start listening to A World on Fire. Yes. I hope you like some mm -hmm. Roy Thomas goodness there, Matthew, because that was our recent episode. 
Mm-hmm. Well, actually, you know, you might have to listen to another episode, which is slated to drop this Saturday, right, Billy? <laughs> so, mm-hmm. but, but this episode specifically that we're doing right now will come out before then. Mm-hmm. Anyways, he says Infinity Inc. was special to him as a kid. You remember specifically the day he picked up issues three and four at the same time. When he saw the morgue full of dead JSA members, he was blown away. And he goes on to say, I completely believed that they were dead. Just a few months earlier, my uncle had given me a copy of Adventure Comics where the Earth 2 Batman was killed. Mm-hmm. And if he could die, anyone could. That's true. I mean, they were playing fast and loose with the Earth 2 characters there, right, Billy? Oh, yeah. And he says he also recalls his dad looking at the cover and reasoning that now that Infinity Inc. characters are around, the JSA are redundant. They probably wanted to clear the way for Infinity Inc. to be the main heroes. That makes complete sense, right, Billy? Yeah, holy, I mean, you think money. about it. Yeah. yeah, and that he says that was also the day he learned the word redundant. <laughs> learned the yeah. of the word. Great. Of course, I didn't fall for the Flash being killed on the cover on the next issue. I've rambled on long enough, so I'll just add that Jade and Obsidian are my two favorites. And I was devastated when uh, she was killed. This is Jade was killed killed quote unquote during Carl Rainer's tenure as Green Lantern. Yeah, me too. But she's back. Jade is back. We know this from, you know, recent DC continuity. So yeah, she's she'll she's too great a character to be killed off, I'm hoping. Um so yeah, great. Thanks uh, Matthew for touching base with us and obviously great uh, giving us these great comments. We love new listeners chiming in. And then of course Billy we had a host of comments on Twitter from our great you know what would you call them Twitter buddies. And, mm-hmm. um, you know, folks all, all across the board of comic book fandom have been chiming in and saying they like the podcast. So we're really thankful and grateful to you guys for listening and giving us a try. Absolutely. So, but that's it for another episode here of Star Rocket Radio. We ran a little bit late, but um, we've got a, an ASCAST episode coming out after this. But this episode specifically mm-hmm. will drop on, in, on Wednesday. Uh, or no, I should say Thursday, right? Which mm-hmm. would make mm-hmm. it... Um, I think no, if you think about your time, it will make it November 18th, mm-hmm. uh, but I'll upload it, of course, November 19th. But since we're 12 hours or 13 hours ahead, it'll drop, you know, on Thursday, November 18th. So look forward to that, listeners. Mm-hmm. That's what we're doing right now. But I should mention, Billy, we're going to make the, we should make the All-Star Squadron, w- which is already very regular, which drops uh, every uh, Friday night, Saturday morning, every two weeks. Mm-hmm. Um, we should make a more regular time for Star Rocket Radio. And I'm thinking we can do it, um, you know, every other Friday, you know, interspersed between episodes of, yeah. you know, so we might have to rush the next episode of Star Rocket Radio, which might be available in a week and a half's time or so just to catch up and, and make those two uh, podcasts sync. I think Halloween threw us off a little there, right? Oh, Believe yeah, with all the sure. Halloween shows. So we'll try to do that, listeners, and give you a more regular date but look for another episode next week, Friday. But this one will definitely drop this week as you're listening to it right now on uh, Thursday, November the 18th. But Billy, that's it for me. Where can they find you, man, on the interwebs? So, yeah, I mean, within relation to this show, definitely look for uh, you know us at, uh, at All Squadron as well. So we can talk All Star Squadron stuff. And then you, know, you at Star Rocket Radio. And then if you want to just look up me, it's uh, at Billy D underscore Alicious. That's right. And you can find me at Into Weird and at Dark Longbox. And um, that's it basically for us at All, All Squadron. Like you already mentioned, that's our main 
All Star Squadron feed, but we're also at Star Rocket Radio on Twitter. Mm-hmm. And please send feedback to StarRocketRadio at gmail.com. And that's where we're mostly mm-hmm. going to reply. But you can DM us as well. We'd love that. Yeah, yeah. All right, Billy, we're jumping into the Star Rocket Racer again, man, and we're heading off to parts unknown, but it's definitely going to be parts where there are lots of comics to read. (laughs) But until (laughs) next time, take care of yourself, listeners. Be all stars in real life. We know you probably are, since you love the Justice Society and you love the Infinitors. And then the world should be, you know, a safe place for all of us to continue reading comics in without, you know, all this horrible troubles that plague you know um you know the folks in the comicdom <laughs> so <laughs> hopefully we'll escape the ultra humanized attentions all right so take care of yourselves that's me i'm out of here bye-bye all right, see everybody <laughs>